there's now only three black women playing professional hockey. In Canada? In general. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> the height of George Floyd, first ever pro game. I kneeled for the anthem and that went off. Like death threat emails. And instead of raising $5,000, I raised $35,000 and I started the Canadian entity of Black Girl Hockey Club. Black Girl Hockey Club is our nonprofit. We have scholarship and financial aid. We'll provide community events for the girls. And then the other aspect is the mentorship program. You went to Yale. Only black yeah. hockey player in the history of both men and females. So what's it like being the only black person on a team? I just remember not always feeling included. Mentally, I don't have anything left to give to the playing aspect of hockey. I have a lot more to give in terms of the barriers I can break down in the sport, continuing to do so as a black woman in broadcasting now. Funny, I wanted to talk about how we met. Do you remember? Just, oh yeah. Oh my gosh, you're gonna still tell them I didn't, I couldn't get into the party. <laughs> <laughs> Not that you couldn't get into the party. It was more so that I didn't believe you. Yeah, I was like, I'm on the list. And you're on the list. And I'm like, well, I have the list in my hand. You like showing me not you, on the list. Right. And you were like, your name's not here. You're like, yo, I'm with Mav Carter. I was like, okay, I understand that. But what I was told was everyone who I'm taking care of is on this list. So you and your boyfriend were out there for like 10 minutes. Yeah. And Looking good and everything. I mean, 100%. 100% <laughs> both of you guys looking phenomenal. I felt so bad. And then, funny enough, two years later, you are hosting a party that I'm also working at again. Yeah. And it, everything came full circle. But I want to tie that back in at the end of this. Okay. Um, but I, <laughs> that was how <laughs> I kind of wanted to start things and talk about how we actually met. Yeah. And then... It's okay. Story of my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I honestly did want to know, for the people who don't, um, who don't know you, and listen to this interview, um, what, do you, what, what do you want them to know about you? Um... Geez, just that I wear a lot of hats. I could do a lot of different things. Okay. Got, I mean, I'm in broadcasting right now. I'm also the manager of diversity, equity, and inclusion for the PWHL. Um, I run my nonprofit, Black Girl Hockey Club. I'm a painter, I do my art. Um, and I have a show on TSN, Breaking Down Barriers. How'd you get into all those different things? Oh, geez, hockey. Honestly, hockey was what brought me to all of those different things. <laughs> I think I've milked hockey for what it's worth so far, but um, I mean, Black Girl Hockey Club started because I wanted a space for black women to be able to have fun in hockey and be able to just be themselves. Um, broadcasting came from me playing hockey and just using my voice and my platform. Um, and then I was in Black Ice, so that's where I was contacted to be mm -hmm. the host of my show. We're going to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then painting. I've just always loved art, but never really had any time for it because I was always playing hockey. And now I've kind of taken a deeper dive into that and started painting studio. <laughs> Would you say hockey is a form of art? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think hockey is what brought all of the artistic abilities out of me. Like now I want to produce and tell stories. Um, I mm. want to highlight other people in the community and make sure that their voices are heard. So um, hockey's allowed me to be creative now. And I didn't know that hockey could ever allow me to do that. <laughs> Seems like hockey was the, the, the bedrock and the foundation for you to sprout your, your wings or for sure. blossom into all the diversity. I wish I could paint shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> So did you start painting as a kid? Mm -hmm. Yeah, my mom is pretty good at art. Okay. She would definitely not say she is, but she's a good painter. She Humble. paints like la yeah. landscape and stuff. And I just remember always going to like 
like Loblaws superstore, go to like cooking classes with her. We'd go to a painting class. Um, and that was kind of like our thing. And I always took art all the way through high school, um, but still never had any time for painting outside of that. It was get home, do my lab homework and go to hockey. So mm. um, when COVID hit and I wasn't playing hockey, uh, we were sent home. That was my senior year of Yale. Uh, I just started painting again because I really had nothing else to do other than do my classes. I didn't have a senior spring. So painting hmm. was my senior spring, I guess. <laughs> Interesting. When, when did you, like, were you a kid when you started painting? Like, how old were you when you, when you started um, I would say probably seven or eight. Oh. I, my art started to like look good you yeah. know <laughs> where, you, where your parents aren't just like right. oh this is great sweetie like yeah. it was, I was like oh wow okay a like plus. you can draw and like you can paint and stuff so um yeah I think I realized around like between seven and ten that I was good at art as well where are you from Oshawa Ontario okay the big O yes well, the, the dirty one. schwa that's what they call it the dirty <laughs> yeah. schwa okay yeah. I just made up the big O look at me <laughs> uh what's it like growing up there um, it's more of a factory town. So, I mean, GM factories there. So, um, it's definitely very white space. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I think there was probably me and three other black girls in my graduating class in high school. Right. Um, and my mom actually grew up in Oshawa, so she's never left Oshawa. And then my dad uh, lived in Scarborough growing up and moved to Oshawa. I uh, met my mom there. So, I grew up in Oshawa, never really left until it was time to go to college, but um, hockey was what brought me all around the world to mm. see other places other than just Oshawa. <laughs> <laughs> Do you come from a big family? Like, are your brothers and sisters athletic as well? Yeah, my brothers, I have three brothers, so um, I'm the second oldest, 30, I'm 25, 23, and 13. Okay. Uh, so my brothers, they're more laid back. They don't like to be yelled at. They're not like the intense, like, outgoing guys. That's, that's, that's me. Mm. Um, so I think my dad gets the the sport aspect from his one and only girl uh, and I definitely point that out for my brothers but <laughs> uh, but my brothers are very athletic guys I wish they would have put more into their sport because they're probably better athletes than me but really yeah okay yeah but they just they don't like the intensity so Huh. Yeah. But you relish in that. Oh, yeah. Any, anything like competition. Everything's a competition for me. As unhealthy as that may be, I think it helped me get to where I am today. Of course. So. <laughs> Do you think all athletes have that or need that? Everything needs to be a competition? Yeah, for sure. I think some athletes have it and some don't. But I think it just depends on the way you play your game. Like, Fair. I think I play better when I'm slightly angry. So, hmm. you know. <laughs> I don't know if I want to see that very much. <laughs> well, actually, I did at the LeBron party. Yeah, I was like, let me in. Uh, it is reported in high school that you were an eight-sport athlete. Yes. So you played badminton, soccer, basketball, curling, field, lacrosse, track and field, hockey, and even ultimate frisbee. So out of all the things I just named, <laughs> why did you gravitate towards hockey and how like how long has hockey been a part of your life yeah I mean I started out in gymnastics and dance and very soon I was gonna I was told I was too tall for gymnastics they were already switching the bars mm. I had different practice times um, I've been like five nine five ten since I was probably 10 12 so oh, wow. I was pretty big you're taller than the boys <laughs> yeah way bigger than all the boys so my dad was like let's just make you a big hockey defenseman so that's what I was and was up until past like I guess a month ago yeah um but I mean, I would say basketball and soccer were my main two loves. Like I like to play soccer and like to play basketball more than I like to play hockey. But hockey was what provided me with all the opportunities. I was being recruited in grade nine for Ivy League schools. I had committed mm. to play at Yale um, my grade 10 summer. So I knew what I was 
aiming for um, and hockey was just what had taken me to that point. Um, I also made the U18 national team so I knew it was an opportunity for me to play on the national team for hockey um, and my offers for soccer were more so D3 so mm. I figured why not just go with hockey. And, and hockey was all D1. What about yeah. basketball? Did you have any offers there? Um, I had some offers for basketball but I mean it was D3. I wanted to play D1 and hockey was the main focus. Hockey was, I mean I had to stop playing travel basketball because I was focused on hockey. Hockey and basketball are the same season too yeah, so that made it difficult but soccer was probably the other one. I really like soccer. I actually almost quit my senior year at Yale and walked onto the soccer team. No my two best friends were on soccer and I just didn't feel like I had a place in hockey anymore but we stayed and quitting doesn't sit right with me so we finished out in hockey. <laughs> Interesting. Well, we're gonna we're gonna get to what you just said about not having a place at, at yeah. I'd love to I'd love yeah. to dive deeper um, into that. But you brought up something a bit earlier that you talked about your your dad. So how did Harville? That's the most Jamaican name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how did Harville shape um, you as a you know as a player? And he, yeah. you, you talked about him a little bit and how he he shaped us. So you know, talk to me about that. Yeah, actually, I recovered the video of me receiving my first pair of skates a few weeks ago. No way. Um, and they were just like these big skates that probably wouldn't have even fit me. But uh, my dad has been the reason I play hockey. Uh, my dad grew up in Scarborough, as I mentioned, and he just remembers so much racism in the sport. Really? Uh, he was a goalie. He remembers like lugging his bag on the Scarborough City bus to get to the rink and racist comments being made to him about mm. like why he shouldn't be playing hockey. And he just loved the sport. He's a huge Leaf fan, which I mean, I don't don't know if I respect that but um, but at the same time he's the person that put me in hockey and he was the one that always told me to just prove them wrong and let their comments go in one ear and out the other and just show them what you have on the ice um, and just continue to play. Do you think hearing his experiences with being racism made you want to do it even more made you want to play even more and be a part of it because it is so uncommon to see a black man let alone black woman yeah doing well in a predominantly white dominated sport, right? Yeah, I think, I, like I said, I'm super competitive. So it was just always like prove them wrong. Like, right. okay, you, you don't think I'm good enough to be on this team. I'm gonna show you exactly why I am. Um, so I think it allowed me to fulfill my competitive needs. Yeah. <laughs> um, but at the same time, it, it definitely took a toll on me just having to prove people wrong all the time and mm. you know, not necessarily feeling like I was welcomed on my team and whatnot. But my dad was always that person that I would go to afterwards and be like, why is this happening? He's like, it's going to happen until you're done. So, mm. and it might still happen. <laughs> so <laughs> what, what's it, what's it like being the only black person on, on a team? Do you find you have to change who you are depending on who you're around? Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I laugh at myself now. I go back to when I played for Clarington Flames. So on the other side of Oshawa, even farther out. <laughs> Clarington. Yeah, <laughs> Clarington. <laughs> it's like, that is. <laughs> far, it's like farm town. And um, uh, I was the only black girl on my team. And um, honestly, figure. yeah, I just, I just remember not always feeling included. Like some of the things they say, it's not necessarily what you consider funny or like what? Um, I, I don't know, like hockey dress, dressing okay. room jokes, things like that. But I even remember like wearing like khakis and Sperry's and like listening to country music because I was trying to fit in. And like, that's not me. Not so. Sperry's. <laughs> yeah, Sperry's. like Sperry's, why? <laughs> <laughs> like right. not cute. So um, definitely tried to alter my own personality and what I like to try and fit in with my teammates. Um, but farther along as I got, I just realized like I can't continue to fake who I am. Mm -hmm. And if they don't like me for who I am, then that's just that. But that's what makes it hard when you have to play on teams when you're not necessarily liked for who you are. <laughs> yeah. Very, yeah, it's very profound and very true. 
and that you, you show a lot of strength and character into remaining who you are and still being able to you know be a part of a team and, and do that and that's something you've had to to deal with your entire life so you you know you talked about Yale you went to Yale only black female on in in the history only black yeah. hockey player in the history of both men and female so so talk about um your experience there yeah so when i got to yale i really thought my team would be really inclusive everyone obviously has good grades and is smart and is educated um but again like the ignorance of just black individuals and in our history was just completely lacking um and just comments being made and whatnot so Right away when I got to Yale, I realized how clicky it was and that it was honestly kind of worse than my minor hockey days. Um, mm. And again, that goes to team culture. It's your captain that facilitates that. It's the team conversations, the team building that you have. And we just didn't have that. Um, so I had to reach elsewhere and find friends. So my two best friends are on Yale soccer. Mm. Um, they both play professional soccer now. And if I didn't have them, I would just be locked into my hockey community, which I initially thought that that's what it was going to be because we play hockey for 40 hours a week. Um, you don't have time to do or hang out with many other people. Mm -hmm. So I definitely expected them to be more inclusive and more welcoming, uh, but that wasn't necessarily the case every year I was there. So what was it like? Did, 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 were you just excluded? You, were, you weren't talked to and then, like, <laughs> they made jokes or what? Like Yeah, I, I think it was more so, I mean, I would, by, by my junior, senior year, I didn't have an issue calling those things out. Right. Um, so, when I mean, you're a rookie, though. Yeah, and, <laughs> I, exactly. When you're a rookie, you just want to fall in line, do what you're told, and get the playing time that you hope mm -hmm. you, you want. So um, in that sense, junior, senior year, I kind of started to speak up, just hearing certain comments, like just ignorant comments, microaggressions that we hear, and it's like, hey, that's not okay. And I would approach it, I would talk to my coach, and he, his suggestion at the time was actually for me to give a presentation on our history <laughs> and what we've gone through to explain that to my teammates. Um, and again, that's just like another aspect of the game where it's like, no, like that's so lacking. You can't expect me as a black individual to teach them and get up to date on all of this information. Um, nor should that pressure fall on me. Right. So <laughs> a presentation. That, yes. That was that was their suggestion. Yes, my junior at year. an Ivy League school. Not yes. very not very smart. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I, I went and talked to the dean of the African American House at, okay. at Yale, and she was like, "Really? Like <laughs> this is this this ain't it?" So <laughs> uh, we had to further facilitate from there. But um, not even necessarily just comments about black individuals. Right. It was comments about other races Anybody. and any anything. And none of that is okay because then that leads to further exclusion for those people that want to get into hockey. And mm -hmm. we know hockey is an incredibly white space and we're trying to change that. <laughs> were you able to continue on at, at Yale without, because you know, as you said, you almost quit. Yeah. So you quit because you weren't really included and you felt, well, I like soccer. I may as well go play that at the same school because you did want to be at Yale. Yeah. You just didn't want to deal with that. Yeah. And at that point, I think I viewed hockey as a job. It was just like put my headphones in, show up at the rink, do my job on the ice as the D-man out there and go home. Um, so, woman. yeah, D-woman, you yeah. know. <laughs> Um, but but at the same time, I, I think that 
uh, I wanted to reach out and find other communities that included me mm -hmm. and I needed to find other friends. I was just sick and tired of only having this hockey community to reach out to and go to. Um, and actually going into my senior year, we had a coaching change. So our head coach changed and he definitely made an effort to talk to me and figure out what we needed to do to further include people. Um, and at the time there was a freshman on the team. That was the first time I'd ever played with another black player, Kirsten Good. Uh, she's a senior there this year. Nice. I'm super excited to go back for her senior night. but. Um, I just wanted to make an effort and make sure she wasn't going to have to go through the same things I went through. Mm -hmm. And the new coach my senior year was fully on board with creating a new team culture because that's exactly what Yale hockey needed. And I mean, I would say he did a pretty good job. Uh, coach Mark Bolding, they were in Frozen Four last year. Um, they're a nationally ranked team now. And nice. that was not a thing when we were there. So mm -hmm. um, he's brought the program to new lengths. And I do think a lot of that is to do with team culture. Beautiful. Um, I think out of everything you've said so far, you've dealt with a lot of isolation by choosing hockey. Yeah. And I think you've done a great job of doing that. Would you say that you're more introverted or extroverted because of that? Has that affected how you do things outside of your sport? Because you've always kind of been by yourself. You, like you, you weren't like, like everybody else in yeah. hockey. So. Yeah, I'm definitely lonesome in that okay. sense. Like I would say I'm always doing work. I don't really hang out with friends that often, but I, I mean, I, I'm learning how to make friends now. Um, obviously my teammates were my friends and whatnot, but they're not the ones that I'm like, going to the Raptors games with yeah. and going to the parties that I like to go to and eating the food that I like to eat. So um, finding new friends now outside of hockey um, has been exciting, but I would say I'm honestly more introverted. I am pretty mellow when I'm talking just like to my partner or um, to my friends. Uh, and I think I have like an on and off switch when I'm doing public speaking and mm -hmm. in broadcasting and stuff because I am pretty mellow when it comes to things. <laughs> Not today. Yeah, no, no, exactly. But like, I'm on right now, you know, so yeah. it's it's one of those things. But other than that, at home, I'm chilling. <laughs> I like that. I like that. You're you're 25. You're three years into your hockey career. Did you always want to play pro hockey? Or was that something that you that you were like, was a goal when you were a kid? Yeah. Right? Uh, well, actually, pro hockey wasn't even really an option uh, when I was a kid. It was playing in the Olympics. That was the, that was the goal. Um, there wasn't really a pro hockey league to aspire to be in. Um, so CWHL, it, that, that league folded my, uh, my sophomore year of college. And then the NWHL uh, um, slash PHF mm -hmm. and the PWHPA weren't paid positions. So I always say my first NWHL contract, my first pro contract was for $5,000. Mm. Um, so I had agreed to play on the New York team for I was, the season or for the yeah for the season oh okay. yeah for a six month season five thousand dollars hey, <laughs> hey it, it bees like that yeah it really does yeah so playing pro hockey wasn't really on the table I wanted to go get my education and go from there that's the reason why I chose to go to Yale um, I had scholarship offers like Ohio State and whatnot but um, chose to focus and go to Yale go to an Ivy League school mm -hmm. and get my education um, and then pro hockey I mean COVID happened um, so I was supposed to be working in medical devices in New York City and that's why I had agreed to sign with the New York team. I had been drafted fourth overall to the New York team and signed for $5,000 and was going to work outside of that. Mm. Um, so that was what that was and moving forward I asked for a trade to the Toronto team and then salaries started to go up and now we have the PWHL. <laughs> but you've decided to step away from hockey. Yes, I have. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, you're yeah. 25 three years into your pro career and you decide to retire when salaries are going up and 
I know you're about your money. (laughs) (laughs) I know you're about getting paid. And that's why it was easy for you to say, okay, I'll play hockey, but I'll also work outside of this because at Yale, you said to me that you're, you, the average salary after graduating is, is what? Yeah. It's between 80 and a hundred. So you were ready. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that's what I had hoped to make. Um, and obviously a $5,000 contract doesn't necessarily get you there. Yeah. Yeah. So actually we, uh, the, the leagues just merged. So the PHF and PWHPA just came together, um, and formed one league Mm -hmm. as we know the women were separate. Um, so I was on the PHF side. I played for Toronto and, uh, at that point we were notified that our contracts had been cut for this upcoming season and that they were starting the PWHL in January, uh, which just started. But at the same time, salaries from PHF had decreased for the PWHL. Um, And I know with everyone coming back together, I would instead of being a number two or three defenseman, I would have been five or six, which results in a minimum contract, which results in what I was not planning on making this mm-hmm. year. So it was time to pivot um, and make a switch. But at the same time, I've always said I don't necessarily play hockey because I just love stepping on the ice and love playing hockey. I love being a piece of representation and showing little black girls that they can play as well, mm. um, as there is now only three black women playing professional hockey. In Canada? Uh, in general. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's deep. Yeah. Um, so you would say then it's obviously financially difficult to to make a living from hockey and that wasn't really your your goal you didn't you didn't play because you love it you played because you want to show that you're that you're a part of this and that other people can as well when did that start to happen like when did that switch where you yeah i think coming out of yale i realized i was gonna play professionally i'd been drafted um and i was like okay i play angry every single game i play here at yale and i view it as i want to get on the ice do my job well and go home and i couldn't play i couldn't continue to have that mindset so i needed a new purpose in playing and that was to play for the little girls behind me and i made soroy strong and black girl hockey club um, to continue to amplify as I use my professional platform. So um, I think it was just really important for me to have that mindset change or else I would have continued to play angry and then it just would have been pointless playing. Right. So Why did you play angry? <laughs> <laughs> I think just because of all the situations I had been through in hockey, being excluded, um, not feeling like I made teams that I should have made. That started when I was six or seven. Um, just constantly having to prove yourself at the Uh, end of the day it's just always always and obviously that's the story of being an athlete but I do think it's a little different when you're a person of color in a predominantly white sport and have played for so many years I've played for 23 years since I was three or four so I understand what the career is like and I know what it would be like moving forward and I don't think that that was something that I wanted to be part of my life anymore to be honest I think I was ready to move on and I've been a significantly happier person since letting that announcement out and saying mm-hmm. that I'm not playing anymore. And letting letting go of that. I mean, you're going to have to prove yourself in, you know, what we do now as broadcasters and um, and life, of course. But at least the playing field might be a little bit more even. I yeah. Find, I, would, I think it's safe. We could both say that with hockey, you're you're not on a level playing field. There, you're gonna like you said, you've been cut from teams you probably should have made. Yeah. Can you give me an example. Um, I mean, actually, when I was playing for Clarington, I actually, I started out playing for Oshawa Lady Generals and uh, they only had an A team. And so I had to switch to Clarington and go and play double A because A was too easy. And at that point, I'd been told by the double A coach that I was making the team. And at this point, I'm 11 or 12. um, But one of the top players 
by all means. Um, so I switch centers. I go try out for Clarington. And at that point, most of the tryouts are going on at the same time. So if I'm trying out for this double A team, I can't go to Whitby and try out for Whitby's double A team. So they strung me along to the last tryout. Apparently some of the parents had issues that I had come in from another center and they cut me. So I got cut from the double A team. Meanwhile, that's why I moved over there to play double uh, A. And then I go try out for A and they cut me from the A team as well. Meanwhile, I would have been a top player on the double A team. So I was on the double B team, uh, which is just absurd. Um, <laughs> uh, so I was on double B, just scoring, whatnot, got moved up to the A team just okay. because it was too easy. And then I played probably 70% of the games with the double A team as a call up. But again, those, I'm, I'm 11, I'm 12. Those are confidence building moments mm. for these girls. And what I realize now when I have my mentees, and those are things that broke my confidence. And I was very rightfully <laughs> deserved a spot on the double A mm -hmm. team, was a top player even when I got called up. But because of X, Y, and Z, I end up on double B, so. And then that years and years and years of going through all that would make you wanna. Yeah, and it's just it's just the constant feeling left out. Um, it's those little comments. I noticed even when I played at Yale my senior year, someone would make a comment that was subtly racist, microaggressive, what whatnot, and. Normally you look up and it's just like, okay, like I am disgusted by you and you just have to go fall back into your place. But at that point I would look up, see Kirsten across the room and we'd be like, oh, okay, like whatever, like make a joke of it. And then it's like, okay, you can let it go. So I, I think it's, it makes a difference when you even just have one other person in the room, but when you're alone, it's tough. <laughs> and you've, and you've had to endure that for, um, a good majority. Yeah, I think when I started playing professionally, that was the first time I realized everyone was gonna be mature about things. Yeah. If they had to, if they wanted to ask me about something that they thought was ignorant, they would still ask me, but I wouldn't necessarily feel like they were being ignorant. I wanted them to ask me the question because it had never been asked before. Right, was it still fun though, playing professionally? <laughs> yeah, of course, I, I absolutely loved my professional career. I think that was the one aspect of my career where I think I had Play, not a, I don't think I played to my full potential by any means, but I had a good time. And that was the first time in my career I was having fun. Um, I absolutely loved my captain. We won the Isabel Cup last year with nice. Toronto. Um, I have no idea what that is. Yeah, nice. <laughs> it's the Women's Stanley Cup, essentially. <laughs> so um, I definitely had friends on my pro team and, and whatnot. And I think everyone was aware of how I was going to use my platform and they weren't afraid to ask me questions and get to know me better. Yeah. Um, but again, I think that's, that's something that I could have done when I was younger if I was more comfortable with myself is have them ask those questions and mm -hmm. answer them. But um, yeah. Hard to do that when you're young, though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We don't know those things right. when we're 12. So... <laughs> You put a lot into hockey, though. You put 23 years, if yep. I'm not mistaken. Do you think you got everything out of the game? Um, I mean, I, I definitely, I, I know I could be playing professionally right now. Um, I was supposed to play for Ottawa in the PWHL, and um, I announced that I was retiring two days before camp. Uh, mm. And it was something that I had, I had the offer on the table to be in broadcasting and analytics, and it was just trying to figure out if it was time to pivot mm -hmm. or if I had more left in me to give. But mentally, I don't have anything left to give to the playing aspect of hockey. Um, I have a lot more to give in terms of the energy I can uh, put out there and the barriers I can break down in the sport, continuing yeah. to do so as a black woman in broadcasting now. <laughs> I don't want to take any credit for your decision to become a broadcaster. <laughs> But uh, I know you're. I know Harville. Harville definitely wanted you to continue playing hockey. Yes. <laughs> and that's that's still that's still hard for him to to, to you know to deal with. But 
why broadcasting? Well, I mean, you have a plethora of things. You're a painter, you're, you know, you have businesses, you're an entrepreneur. Why'd you get into broadcasting? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, well, I will say this. When I was at Yale, I would flip through the syllabus and be like, okay, there's no presentation in this class. Like, we're <laughs> taking this. Because I could not give a five or ten minute presentation without, like, shaking and sweating. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, I think it's, a, it's something that scares me. Um, so I know every single time a camera's on or I have to do something with my show, I'm nervous. It, and I think it's just, you want to do things that scare you because um, mm -hmm. that's the only way you improve. So I think that's a big reason why I wanted to go into broadcasting is because it's it's scary. Like that New Year's that New Year's Day yeah, game, yeah. like yeah. everyone said, oh my goodness, you look so great, Sarah. But I'm like, I am shaking yeah. inside like i'm so <laughs> nervous so um i think i just want to do it because it's something that scares me and again i get to continue to use my voice and my platform and open up more doors for yeah. black women yeah. um open up the hockey door open up broadcasting like why not yeah. give them so many avenues and i mean i can use my degree when i want to i don't have to go into medical devices or pharmaceuticals right now um i think i'm pretty good on broadcasting and analytics so We'll stick with that for now. <laughs> mm -hmm. So that's not, that means similar to me, that's not something I wanted to do right away, but you'll get over that. You yeah. know, you're, I, think, I think you're doing a great job being on camera. You'll, you'll, you'll find in time that it just becomes second nature. It's just like practice, yeah. you know, taking a slap shot or whatever practice people hockey do or whatever, <laughs> whatever people hockey, hockey players do. Yeah. It just, it's just, it's just practice and you'll, you'll find it will get, it will get easier. And I mean, um, you spoke about your, well, I know you, well, from what I know, you were known for your physical shutdown style of play. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, you talked about that anger and as a defenseman, you're checking people. So how do you let that out now? I mean, you're, you're, you're no longer playing, <laughs> you change your, you know, you change your routine. How do you stay competitive? Are you, are you now trying to say, okay, every broadcast I'm going to be better or what do you do? Yeah, I think broadcast, I realize it is kind of like going into a game day. So, I mean, I got my tunes on now, but I don't think it's like as intense as playing. So, I honestly, I'm, I'm looking... You don't get to hit anybody. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I, I think I'm looking for new ways to be competitive. I love going to spin class. That's like my way to stay active right now is just going to spin class. Um, but I also love boxing. So, oh, damn. Um, okay. Yeah, we could we could throw them around. I'm good. Sure. I'm good. Yo, you, you, Tristan, y'all you, might go in the bed. Not me. Not me. But like. yeah, I don't know. Maybe run a half marathon or something. I don't know. Something that athletes do after they're done. Like I don't know. We gotta figure it out. <laughs> something that athletes do after they're done. That's good. That's a quotable one. That's good. <laughs> Fair. Um, you, you're the when when you did play, you were the first um, player to have an endorsement deal. Uh, how did that come about? Yeah, so I was the first uh, player in the PHF to have an endorsement deal. So the ma majority of the national team girls have endorsement deals, but um, it was awesome, honestly. I think it was great to show the PHF players that they can gain endorsement deals as well by using their platform, being a great player, um, doing X, Y, and Z. So um, it was a huge honor. Uh, Sherwood is a brand that okay. I've used since day one. Uh, yeah. Okay. So uh, Sherwood, wood, uh, they used to have wooden sticks. So mm -hmm. my dad made me play with a wood stick for probably the first five years of my career when I probably should have switched to a composite. But um, I started out with Sherwood Hockey and uh, Sherwood's also owned by Canadian Tire. My parents met at Canadian Tire actually 
my my mom was a cashier my dad fixed bikes so okay. we had a full circle moment with sherwood and canadian tire and uh they've been an unbelievable partner of mine and they're still uh, i was gonna say you're still working with them yeah they're still i'm still endorsed by by sherwood um even despite not playing this season uh they know what i can do off the ice is just as important right and that's 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 amazing to hear so do you think other Black females, other females in general should have or can get those type of deals? Yeah, for sure. I mean, they're they're on the table. I think uh, as athletes, I, I spoke at the pre-camp for PWHL talking to a lot of my friends and former teammates just talking about how to use your platform. Um, just because you're a white woman playing hockey doesn't mean you can't support Black Girl Hockey Club. You could support uh, mental health and wellness. There's so many different things. You yeah. don't have to be part of a marginalized community to support something. So uh, I think as athletes, I mean, LeBron, Maverick's platform, more than an athlete, um, I think that's exactly what you have to move into. Um, and I, I think endorsements come from that and also being a wicked hockey player too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that helps, that helps. Well, yeah. I think that's what this podcast is about. We're trying to talk about what you do after you're done playing your sport and one of the things you did to one of the many things you've done to separate yourself i think from other people was you were in black ice and that's how you really took off and became famous and <laughs> did all the good stuff famous so, i don't know about famous but <laughs> i mean I, apparently some some idiot didn't let you in at the party and say you should have known so i don't know i would i would say you're you're you know you're pretty famous once he found out that never happened again i did it Soroya. <laughs> yeah we hosted next right there you go so how did you get into black ice how did you you know tell the story of that oh goodness so i mean i remember seeing it online uh that drake lebron and maverick carter were going to put out this documentary about black ice hockey players and the history of our contributions to the game um and i just i dm'd maverick actually i dm'd him I, it's funny now but i'm like hey mr carter like are you <laughs> i was like are you planning on adding female perspectives into the movie um, and then from there, he didn't necessarily reply, but I, the UN Canadian team reached out, um, so cool. and we went from there. Uh, I, I don't think they knew how much of my story they wanted to implement in the beginning. Um, but I think they really enjoyed working with myself and my, my girls from Soroya Strong and Black Girl Hockey Club. And it ended up being a comparable story to Akeem Aliou's story yeah. in Black Ice. So uh, definitely super fortunate to have that. And actually the director, Karen Zylak, approached me afterwards and asked me if I wanted to host a TSN show. So that's where that came from. <laughs> so just like that, you went from just a simple DM yeah. to somebody else helped you now get your own show and be in a documentary that is worldwide. I think it was at Camp Fin Festival as well. Yeah, right. yeah, we won TIFF People's Choice Award. Uh, oh we were at the Uninterrupted Festival, the first ever one um, last summer in LA. And the movie's done really well and been super well received. Did super well Rotten, Rotten Tomatoes as well. Yep. So um, an awesome movie that everyone should watch. I mean, if you don't know, a black man came up with the slap shot, a black man uh, goalie came, figured out that he could come out and play the puck. Like there's so many contributions to hockey that black people have contributed and it's so important that it's recognized uh so if you haven't seen the movie go watch it i think often people equate success with happiness and when you are successful at your sport and you've achieved a lot it's just assumed that you should be happy and i think mm -hmm. from what your face you <laughs> i don't think you believe that is the case so in your situation we keep going we can't talk about everyone else but do you think that that holds truth the more successful you were at hockey were you happy or were you still feeling the same. Yeah, I definitely don't think that's true. I think as athletes, we're always striving to be better, but there's such a mental part of the game that 
is just completely forgotten about. Like you can be physically great, like LeBron dunking on everyone, but like I'm sure he's still in his head sometimes mentally and has to get over things. So um, I wouldn't say my happiest moments were in hockey. Yeah, sure, holding the Isabel Cup, the last game of my career. Yes, sure, that was... That's a happy moment. Yeah, that's a happy moment. That's success. Um, but at the same time, being at Yale and playing hockey, D1 hockey is is a success as well, but I would say I was happy for 30% of my hockey career there. Mm. Um, so I definitely think that sport brings happiness and winning brings happiness, but there's so many aspects that go into sport that, I mean, your team can be winning, but you can be playing terribly. So, I mean, there's just so much more to it. <laughs> I'm curious to know, like what, and I just thought it was like, who, who are you without hockey? Cause you, you just, you just stopped. Yeah. And I'd love to know, like what, who do you, who, who are you without the sport? Oh, geez. Just like in turn. I mean, I think hockey has been a big part of my life. And I think that hockey for other people um, allows for different personalities and whatnot to come out. I often say hockey is a personality like, you know, like the coin term, like for the boys or uh. like just like little things that are very hockey um, and not everyone understands that. It's mm -hmm. like code switching almost. Um, but I... I do think without hockey, I am calm. I've had this sense of calmness come over me since not playing. Um, and honestly, I've been so happy. Mm. And honestly, I, I being a black woman in hockey, I think I've just always had this anger cloud above me. And I just feel like it's been completely removed the past three, four weeks since exiting the sport. Because so, you let it go. Yeah, because I, I let it go. Mm. Um, and... I would, I'm not sure who I am without hockey, in all honesty. We're still figuring that piece out. Figuring that out. Yeah. <laughs> what does the concept of identity mean to you? Um, I mean... Within sport. Yeah. I think in sport, I mean, like you said, I'm a physical shutdown D. And that's how the outward world describes me, but they don't necessarily know me as a player. Right. Um, so I think in sport, you can be a leader, you can be a follower, you can be, um, I mean, you can be a cleaner. I, I mean, reading like, reading different books and whatnot, like, I don't know, I, I think you make your identity in sport. You can be that leader on your team and that role isn't necessarily always given to you or what you want it to be in your mm -hmm. sport, um, but your identity can be something you, you develop throughout your game and whatnot. And it can change too. Yeah. Like I said, I used to be a rushing defenseman. I used to want to contribute offensively significantly, but I turned into defense first, shot blocking um, mm -hmm. and whatnot. So I think it can change. And is your identity outside of hockey now that coming to life and that being formulated? Do, do you find now, maybe because you said you're freer, so do you get to express yourself more? Are you putting more into your art? Are you putting more into what you're doing outside of the game and, and do you think that's more exciting because I think sometimes as athletes we we find ourselves stuck in just doing the thing and not wanting to explore anything else yeah I will say since exiting the sport I'm learning how to take care of myself but not in mean? an athletic sense so I mean in an athletic sense it's like okay I'm gonna go sit in the norm attack for an hour and then roll out and then Theragun um, whereas now I'm like okay well I didn't have four hours of training today but I feel a little mentally off, so am I going to journal? So I'm not going to go roll out in Normatech to help mm -hmm. my mental. Um, meanwhile, that's the main part that I'm focused on now. I'm not training for five hours a day, so um, I have to find other ways to take care of myself. And I think your sport 
distracts you sometimes you obviously have to be in the best physical shape you can be in to be an athlete mm -hmm. but i know when i'm not physically and mentally on board with myself i'm not the best player um and i think that's the same case outside of my sport too i don't necessarily know what i'm going to do physically now mm -hmm. to keep myself competitive and keep in that mindset um but i mean we'll figure it out <laughs> we're gonna have to <laughs> you, you talked about journaling is that is that something you do every day um it's something i'm trying to do every okay. day now um or even just like like simple things like like skincare like going right, deeper into important. my skincare yeah. routine just like just finding little things that take up time because i'm bored sometimes <laughs> <laughs> you know like you're so used to spending like a, a, a full-time job's worth on yeah. your sport um so i'm just trying to find ways to help myself out and be distracted sometimes mm -hmm. i guess <laughs> mm -hmm. Have you found yourself itching to maybe maybe go back and play because you don't know what to do at that time? Or are you now, like, has your schedule sort of adjusted? I know it's still new for you, but yeah. have you found ways to adjust your time and schedule into doing other things? Yeah, definitely. I honestly, when I was at pre-camp for PWHL in Utica, I was so nervous about how I was going to feel watching all the girls go out and play, um, especially watching Ottawa play because yeah, that team. was the camp I was supposed yeah. to be at. So um, in that sense, I honestly didn't feel any sort of emotion which I was yeah and I think that was what showed me that it was the right time mm -hmm. I made the right decision to switch um, and still I mean I covered the inaugural game on January 1st and uh, it was in Toronto I played for Toronto last season and I still didn't necessarily feel like it was my job to be out there anymore uh, which was really good <laughs> to feel <Yeah>. that way <laughs> and, and, and probably refreshing I mean I don't think you can broadcast if you have any attachment to you being out there. Yeah. You know, I'm a firm believer in that. Like, I can't do it. I, I couldn't be able to do it if I was like, shit, it should be me out there playing. Like, if yeah. I had any jealousy or any envy or any feelings towards it, I don't think, I don't think you can. And it's, it's, good, it's good that you're at that and point. And that's, that's a growth point for me, too, because I am that person. I'm yeah. like, I am so competitive where it's like, damn, like, no, like, I need that to be me. But uh -huh. it's like, no, it's cool. Like, y'all have it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, as, a, as an athlete, you are immediately considered um, a role model for other people. Mm -hmm. And that's something that you've taken and honed and made your, your focus. So, you know, you mentioned Black, Black Girl Hockey, Hockey Club. Club and Soroya Strong. What are those two things? Yeah. So Soroya Strong is my mentorship program. Okay. Um, and then Black Girl Hockey Club is our nonprofit. So okay. um, through our nonprofit, we have scholarship and financial aid that we give out. Uh, we give scholarships once a year and it's a rolling financial aid base. Okay. Um, we give out equipment and then we have a community events programming. Um, so whether that's us going to NHL games or women's hockey games, um, We'll provide community events for the girls. And then the other aspect is Soroya Strong, the mentorship program. So the girls basically have open access to me. Um, Why was that important for you? Um, honestly, because I didn't, like I said, I, I'm still trying to find friends now. Um, and I didn't have many friends. I'm your friend. Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't have any strong female black role models when I was 10, 11, 12 that I feel like could have so shaped me. And like just giving me that those one answers that you need or like those questions you don't want to ask your mom um and that's exactly what i wanted to be for those girls so hmm. all of them have my personal phone number most of them if they they'll try and facetime me and i'm not available it's like okay i'll just call you later but i do think as athletes a lot of the little kids view you as a superhero mm -hmm. and i think if you can make yourself touchable and reachable it makes it that much more realistic for them um so it was just so important for me to show them that I'm a real human and I have 
problems and you know don't always have confidence in myself just as they don't uh and so it's important for me to be touchable and just real with them and show them that i'm a human too <laughs> that's gonna make such a difference yeah, yeah i wish i had that i how, really do how many people are in each program um so we've got about 250 girls in our database for uh Soroya strong the mentorship program mm -hmm. and then our black girl hockey club actually originated as a u.s nonprofit in california so i would say through our, our database for the u.s and canada probably 500 young black women that are wow. into and playing hockey that is amazing yeah um what like what would you tell another athlete about starting a nonprofit? Because it, like getting into the business side of yeah. sport is, is difficult. And if you're if you're a retired athlete, it's something that you'd probably want to do. Like most people say when they're done, you you know, like nobody wants to work a job. So yeah. <laughs> as you all know, it's like it's so uncool now to do that. So how do you go about starting these you know these sorts of businesses and you know like these sorts of ventures. Yeah, so I was lucky enough to have kind of a template in front of me. So Renee Hess was the original founder of Black Girl Hockey Club on okay. the US side. Um, so I saw what she was doing, but Renee had never played hockey. She just loved watching the game and hanging it with her friends at hockey games mm -hmm. and just felt the animosity between her group of black friends yelling and screaming in the game versus the white man that's next to them. Yeah. Um, so she wanted to make a club and a community for girls. And I said, I think we can make this so much bigger. Hockey is so expensive and it's not accessible for a lot of people of color. Um, so they had already started scholarship program, but actually my first year in the NWHL, I was playing for the Metropolitan Riveters and it was the height of George Floyd. Um, oh boy. Brianna Taylor and I made the decision to kneel for the anthem. That was my first ever pro game. I kneeled for the anthem and right from there I went online. I said I have a GoFundMe. I want to raise $5,000 for the Black Girl Hockey Club US Scholarship Committee. And through that, um, so I had kneeled for the anthem and then... What was the reception to that by the way? Did you um, kneel for the Canadian anthem or American? Both. Oh boy. Yeah, so... What was that like? Um, I think it was important to do for both like people act like there's no racism here in Canada, but there is. Um, so it was important to do for both. And there was mixed reactions. Some of my teammates, two of my teammates kneeled with me. Um, and then our captains and assistants had our, their hands on our shoulders. Um, mm -hmm. And it was important for us to have an open conversation as a team, which our captain Madison Packer facilitated, which I commend her for because she led that as a white woman and didn't put that on me. Right. Um, and she explained her reason for not kneeling. She had um, a family member that was serving in the military at the time, but told me she respected my decision and understood why I was doing so. Um, so that happened, I kneeled. And then Barstool Sports also wanted to sponsor and support our league. Mm -hmm. And I just tweeted and said that I don't think it's a very inclusive platform to be included in our league, um, especially as women in, in the sport. And that went off. Uh, there was a huge bar Barstool Sports versus me thing that went really? on. Yeah, um, the stoolies came after me. <laughs> and, the stoolies. Um, <laughs> I was receiving, like all on Twitter. You just yeah. seen a lot of negative comments. Yeah, on Twitter, like it it went off. Like I was receiving like death threat emails. Oh boy. Yeah, it was it it was intense. Um, but at the same time, it allowed me to amplify that platform. And instead of raising five thousand dollars, I raised thirty five thousand dollars, and mm -hmm. I started the Canadian entity of Black Girl Hockey Club. So that's how that started, but just standing up and using my voice and I figured I'm a professional athlete now, why wouldn't I kneel for the anthem and right. make a statement? Did people boo? 
Uh, there was, it was a bubble season, actually. Oh, so okay. it was all via streaming. So that was probably the other issue. All of the comments were online. There was nobody <laughs> oh, to okay. boo me in person. Right. So what, there was a video and then all the Barstool people came after you? Or it's because you said you said Barstool shouldn't be part Yeah, of it? it was because they, they wanted to sponsor the league. Okay. Um, and they had actually sent a bunch of alcohol to the Pink Whitney to the bubble, um, which we were in a two-week bubble trying to play hockey. So I'm not sure how vodka helps us. But um, <laughs> maybe, so, maybe, maybe yeah, so. Maybe might. so. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I had basically just said that I didn't think it was appropriate and I didn't think it was an inclusive platform to help further the league. Right. Um, and they came for me. So. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Um, okay. We have a final game here. Okay. It's called 4-3. Okay. Something we like to do at the end of our sessions. Um, you can answer any of the three questions or statements um, with one word or one sentence. Okay. Make sense? Yep. Are you ready to play? Ready to play. Don't hit me. <laughs> <laughs> Question one. Hockey is? Finish the sentence. Elegant. Hmm. Question number two. What is one word you would use to describe your success as an athlete? Mm. Diverse, if that works in there. Oh, it's, 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 this is your yeah, show. I think, I think diverse. I think I have just tried to reach out and touch so many different areas of the game, and I'm going to continue to do so. So um, just diversify the game, diversify the workspace, diversify my skills and ability to either work, play, whatever in hockey. <laughs> Number three, Soraya Tinker's, Soraya Tinker's legacy will be? Breaking down barriers. Uh, that's the name of my show, but... Um, I think I've just opened so many doors and made so many young black women realize that they can either be a hockey player. I mean, some of my mentees play lacrosse. They don't all play hockey. So um, just realize that, making them realize that they can continue to knock down doors and have open doors that they can walk into and not have to feel excluded. Well, that concludes our interview today. Um, I'd like to say this has been a pleasure. Um, you will never have to worry about getting into any clubs when I'm working there again. <laughs> I promise you that. Uh, I don't know your mom's name, but I want to shout out Harville and yeah. your lovely mother for the job <laughs> they've done raising you. And uh, we wish you the most success in, in, in everything that you're doing. Um, you have broken down a lot of barriers. Um, proud to know you. Definitely would love to be your friend. I'm telling you that now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I think, I think you're going to have, a, a, like, the, the, the measurement for your success is... is astronomical i mean you're only 25 you've done so many different mm -hmm. things you're now into broadcasting thanks to me and <laughs> I, th I think <laughs> I, I think overall your your you know your diversification is what's going to separate you and i think you've used sport and not let sport use you mm -hmm. and you've dealt with a lot of shit a lot of people probably can't deal with yeah. and we tip our <laughs> and we tip our hat to that so soroya strong you are you're great Thank and, you. Um, thank you for doing it. I think a lot of people will learn something from this today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. <laughs> hey, if you like this podcast, it would mean the most to me and our team if you could like, comment, and subscribe to our channel.